Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. On this episode, we spoke with Jack J. Hutchinson. Just me again this week. Uh, quick little recap. Jack had to step in last minute. He's an absolute legend. Sadly, we were scheduled to have uh, John Karabi, um, but due to scheduling problems out in the States, uh, he couldn't be with us last minute. Jack is somebody myself and the boys always look at as very hardworking, uh, especially in the new wave of classic rock scene. He's constantly on the road. He's constantly writing, and you can really see the momentums with him. It's been great to see him on a few uh, bills lately, and he's on a few more with us next year. Uh, so let's get into it. This is Crowcast Podcast. Cool family, please welcome Mr. Jack J. Hutchinson. Hi guys, how you doing? How's it going, Jack? Pretty good, man. It's a, it's a real honour to be here tonight. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolute pleasure, bud. As Ron said earlier, I don't know if you were listening, but um, we wanted to have you on for a couple of weeks now, so it's just mad that we had you sooner rather than later. Thank you so much for stepping in. Um, really appreciate it, buddy. From by you now, it looks like you ain't wearing nothing because your hair's in the way of the T-shirt. There he is. There he is. is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of those moments you stand up, you're wearing nothing but a bowler hat. I was like, that's my type of guy. Nobody wants to see that, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, times have been hard the last 18 months. I've had to resort to other measures to, uh, you know, try and sell my music. It's, yeah. uh, fantastic. But how are you keeping, buddy? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it, it's interesting what you guys were just saying then about, like, going to like a hundred miles an hour again. Um, you know, we've been out on tour the last couple of weeks and it, it's like, um, the first couple of nights we were like, Oh God, I forgot how hard this is, you know? Um, so yeah, it's like getting match fit again, isn't it? After uh, so long off the road, but yeah, I'm, I'm all good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Fantastic. No, I, you're absolutely right, dude. There's, there's no, um, you just can't recreate it, can you? There's there's nothing like it. You can rehearse all day in a room for eight hours, nine hours a day if you want. You ain't going to get that much fitness, like you said, until you're in front of an audience. The heart rate is up. The adrenaline's going. So I totally understand there, dude. Yeah, it's the adrenaline, man. Like the first yeah. two or three songs on the first show, we played in Worthing on the first date of the tour, and it was like the adrenaline on the, on the first three or four tracks was just absolutely insane. Yeah. And you end up playing the song. We were like playing the songs at like triple speed. And my, my drummer Felipe was like, oh my God, I'm going to have a heart attack. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun though. Yeah, we often turn into punk rock bands, fair play. Because <laughs> <laughs> of him up here. One, two, three, four. Oh, it is, man. It's, um, yeah, it was my vice for years, to be honest with you. I've, I've kind of, I owe it to Shane and I, I don't mind saying it in front of you or, or anybody like he has... I think he's worked out how to get in my head and that's just enjoy the moment, like, you know? Mm. So it, it was like I'd go on and it would be like the old school days, wouldn't it, Shane, of like just fanatic, like, you know? But yeah. there's a lot of love and passion behind that. But now it's almost like just just enjoy the moment, like, you know? And I kind of try and keep it a little bit balanced and the tempos are a couple of BPM slower now. They're not, they're not like, they're still not there, but they're, they're, they're there. <laughs> yeah, man. How did you enjoy going back in, Jack, when um, when you had that first show in Worthing? 
Yeah, it was it was good, man. It was um, it was the first time we played a lot of new material as well. So one of the best things about that is um, I didn't have to remember any of the lyrics because <laughs> nobody knew the bloody lyrics. So I I was like, you know, halfway through the first track, just kind of going, and nobody nobody freaking knew. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then you know, um, just seeing people, you know, socialising with people after the gig, which you know, I'm sure you guys are the same. It's like that's a big part of it. For me, it's like having a beer with somebody after a show and, and getting to know them. And so that was really good fun um, and kind of like emotional, you know. It was just so so cool to see people. I mean, we'd done festival shows over the summer, but to be in a in you know, small club environment and be playing in front of people where they're really close to you was just, um, yeah, it was quite uh, – I remember driving back from Worthing um, and just thinking, oh, I'm, you know, that was that was something else, you know, in a, in a different way to previous shows, really. Yeah, I can relate to that because that's why I love asking people or when we get the chance and we speak to other bands, um, especially when we came out for a little run in the Apex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's got different timelines. Um, so we managed to do a little bit within COVID. We were lucky enough. So we had some sort of buzz out of it you, you know what i mean that 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 chemical like we managed to get something from it but then there's bands i speak to and they had nothing like you know so when mm. they came out it was some of them even said it was like it was overwhelming like you know it was just like yeah. wow um and i can relate to that because i think the bradford gig more than like some of the festival shane because that was indoors mm. it was that was the one where it was like wow do you know what i mean it was like the first proper one back um so yeah it was it was incredible like we just had a who was that (laughs) blink and you missed it but yeah it was it was a case of bradford i think because it was indoor like you said it was the case of wow that was that was a massive impact that was like you know um the festivals were were still unreal um but you've got that outdoor vibe and stuff so what what was worthing your first one back did you say like as in gig at all or did you do a few in the summer you said the festivals first yeah we did um we did like love rocks and a mm-hmm. few other festivals and then we had some kind of yeah i they weren't really warm-up shows but i guess they kind of were because we were playing such you know new material um we played a show over in ellen a few weeks before but i mean we'd we'd kind of thrown ourselves into recording throughout the last 18 months like a lot of bands did um Somewhat bizarrely, we had we ended up doing one show last autumn, and it, it was really weird because we had nothing else, and we went and did a show in France. And I said to the lads a few weeks ago, I was like, you know, it's it's twelve months since we did that random show in France, and we just it's like we came back and quarantined for ten days or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, apart from that, we didn't really do many shows. Um, so yeah, it, it's just like we're still on that buzz. I think at the minute of just being back out there. I mean, I'm not so much buzzing off, the, you know, sharing hotel rooms with my bassist who snores like a, you know, rhinoceros. It's just I've not missed that element of it, but I have missed the gigs, you know. <laughs> Same. Oh man, yeah, yeah man. All, all bands, all bands got a snorer, haven't they? Um, ours is up there, top left. Um, he's the same, yeah. but he snores as loud as he drums. It's incredible. It is. It is. It is quite incredible. <laughs> and like what I found funny, like everyone, um, 
like our band are like yeah can't wait to get back in the road and everything and it took five minutes for everyone like oh man he snores am i in with him <laughs> there was not even like i have missed his snoring or anything it was like ah oh, no he snores i'm gonna have to keep in with him tonight like you know so yes yeah, it's, it's mad my bass player laz is like one of these people that um he likes his kind of home comforts i guess when he's on tour anyway and he we toured brazil two years ago and one of my like favorite moments even though at the time i wanted to kill him we <laughs> played a show we went on at like 3 a.m and we had to be up to drive to the next show at about 8 a.m so you imagine like no one slept and i was like if i can get an hour's kip that'll kind of keep me going and um he just couldn't like every, this whole room was just filled with this noise of last snoring and i put the, there's some basketball on the tv and i put the tv on to try and drown out what sounded like appetite for destruction in reverse <laughs> and um he rolled over and he was like, oh, "Guys, can you um, can you keep the basketball down? I'm trying to sleep." And I was like, "The everyone else in the room is just like, dude, like seriously." So, um, yeah, he's got a bit of a reputation. But as you say, every band's got somebody like that, haven't they? Yeah, yeah it's great in a van where um, I'll doze off and I'll kind of do the arm stretch and go, "Oh, I think I had a nap there." And there's about three or four voices go, "Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did." At the same time, yes. Yeah. So you, you just said um, you, you went out to France. When was that? About 10 months ago? It was, yeah, just over a year ago. So, um, yeah, we did this festival called Bully on Rocks, which was, um, it's great when you go abroad and you kind of get treated like your rock gods when you go over there. And they like put on this buffet that was enough to feed about 50 people. <laughs> it may well, have, it may well have actually been for 50 people. We just managed to eat most of it. I don't know, but um, it was great that, and then, yeah, it was like we, we came back and then um, we just basically started recording the album. So it was a good way of kind of getting in the in the flow of things, uh, you know, because going in cold, having not played together for a, a few months was, was a bit weird or would have been a bit weird. But to go in and on the back of feeling like a rock and roll band for a weekend, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, that was good. Like what listening would... to your stuff, bud. I mean, I went through your catalogue uh, today and yesterday. On, on Spotify and listen to the album stuff. Obviously, it's really heavily sort of bluesy. So what, 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 how did you get into that firstly? And at what age? I love asking this question, but what age were you when you kind of heard that or play, picked up an instrument? When well, I was pretty young, man. I suppose, um, like when I was about 14 or 15, I discovered Jimmy Page. And so for several years, I was just obsessed with Led Zeppelin. Um, and was in a band that, you know, I, I had a violin bow. I bought a twin neck guitar. It was all, and I painted Zoso actually on my amp, which my dad, he went ballistic at me because I'd wrecked this Marshall amp. Um, so, so that was the kind of thing initially was I wanted to be in a classic rock band. And around that time, which would have been sort of it's about early 2000s, nobody was really into that sort of music. So actually trying to put a band together in Burnley, which is where I, I grew up, was quite tricky because everybody was into well, there's a lot of people into Coldplay around that point I think I seem to remember Damien Damien Rice was very popular where I was um so me trying to get people to play I don't know since I've been loving you by Zep was it was alien to them um and then I moved to London I guess in the mid 2000s thinking if I move to London I'm gonna make it massive you know because I was doing like a lot of people from quite small towns I I'd made a name for myself on the local scene. So I thought, yeah, I'm brilliant. I, I, I must be brilliant. So I moved to London and, uh, of course, nobody gave a shit. Like, it was like, you you moved to London and everybody's just like, 
everybody's better than you. And so you have to <laughs> sort of raise your game. Um, and the very first gig I did in London, I played in Kingston and I got a, I got like not attacked, but some guys started on me after the gig. And I was, I actually rang my mum the next day and was like, mum, I want to come home. Uh, but I stuck it out and then went through a variety of different bands, cut all my hair off. Cause I thought that would help. Um, and I did some session stuff for really kind of folk soft music styles, I guess for a couple of years, that's a new genre I've just created there. Uh, but it was like, yeah, I, I wanted to get back into the rock. Yeah. Um, and then I just got progressively more frustrated playing for other people and was writing a lot of my own material. Yeah. And then I guess about five or six years ago, then I really focused on myself and, and put out a solo record, which kind of coincided with a lot of really cool bands coming out. And that, that kind of scene that's developed in the UK over the last three or four years has, has really, it's just enthused me to to follow that that journey even more because there's so many great bands and so many great people that I've met, you know? Yeah. But was it a case of, so when you were writing your own stuff, what age were you when you started writing your own stuff? Uh, I was pretty young when I started. I mean, that's always been where I've come from, I think, as an artist, is, is, a, is being a songwriter. So, hmm. you know, probably my biggest musical hero over the years has been Neil Young. So I've, I've just always been obsessed with Neil Young. Um, in fact, I got the new Neil Young album the other day and my partner Liz was like, how many times do you own all these songs on this? But, and it's like, well, I've got about 35 live albums. It just, he plays them slightly <laughs> different each time. But, you know, I wrote terrible songs when I was 15, 16. And I always kind of felt like I should be the, I, I felt like with the bands I was in, everybody was trying to write songs, but actually a lot of their music sucked. I thought, you know, I was quite cocky yeah. and arrogant like a lot of people are when they're that age. And I thought, well, I can write better songs than you. Um, I don't know. I've listened back to some of that material and it's not, not as good as I remember, but um, you know, I, I think it, it, you just get better and better, I suppose, as you, well, you hope that you get better and better and then you get the third album difficulty, but yeah, it's been a long process. So can you can you remember any? I love asking this question. Um, but can you remember any of the song titles when you were a kid? What was the first song? What was it called? You no. Everyone knows their first song. Um, I I was obsessed with the faces when I was in. I was a teenager, so I actually wrote a song called "Stay with Me," which um, it didn't sound anything like the faces tune. And I, the the faces tune is a little bit better than the, the track I wrote. Mine was basically <laughs> like this really slow. Uh, kind of George Harrison type uh, ballad that was about uh, this girl that I'd asked out at school that wasn't interested and it was very uh, melancholic and feel sorry for myself. It's always the first song, man. It's always about a girl that doesn't want to. Mine was exactly the same. (laughs) That's brilliant. So, what, 14, 15, that's when you started dabbling, writing your own stuff. Yeah, yeah. So did you, when when you kind of... um, started doing that and penning words and, and finding your own kind of voice. Did it naturally have a blues? Were you surprised with that? Like, cause it's, you, you're very blues. You can be rock. You can and, and arrange yourself uh, slightly differently, but there's a real blues element in your music. Was that something that was conscious or just something that came out naturally? I think what happened really with the blues stuff was, um, you know, I, I got into players like Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page and then wanted to see who they'd been 
influenced by. So yeah. a lot of people end up finding the blues through that. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to London, as I said, like I was trying to make money as a gigging musician. You know, I was tr- I was playing gigs left, right, and centre. You know, sometimes two or three gigs a day because I was doing stuff all over like Soho, and it kind of fell in with the London blues scene. So I, I had a residency at a blues bar in the middle of Soho and ran blues jams down there for a couple of years, and that was an experience as well. It, it kind of changed me as a player. You know, yeah. having to. Uh, put up with absolute arsehole jammers every Saturday. It's like I wanted to kill at the end of the session. Yeah. Uh, but some of those gigs where, you know, you have to go on stage for three hours, three or four hours, which I wouldn't dream of doing that now, but it, it was like having to keep an audience entertained. So I developed some form of, I don't know, I, maybe other people wouldn't say this, but I, I developed a sense of humor on stage and tried to develop a persona but the blues was at the root of that. So I, I learned a lot from those really great musicians, like way more talented than I'll ever be. These players that used to come down there that, you know, slightly older chaps as well in their sort of fifties and sixties who'd been there, you know, they'd experienced Peter Green for like in the sixties. So they would talk to me about all this stuff. And I was yeah. like, wow, you know, you hung out with Peter Green. That's just absolutely incredible. So, yeah. So the blues is always at the root of what I do, I think. That, that sounds very similar to our childhood, Ron, right? Growing up. Completely, Jam nights. Completely. And I love unlocking this as well with people who come on there. I think that it's lovely now because I know of a few jam nights and I, I've been going to them um, when I can. Um, I think they're just so they're vital. Like, do you know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're part, especially your DNA as you're, you're, you're developing. Because like you said, Jack, there's so many musicians from different genres that'll get up on a stage and it will change the way you play or it'll make you listen more as a musician, like, you know, so, cause not everything is just a blues jam. For example, there's, you know, somebody might say, Oh, do you know that? And they help you through it. I remember musicians doing that when we were younger and they're almost shouting at you while they're playing, you know, watching them for the changes. That is brilliant. Like that, that, that really? vibe. Cause when you get through it, which you think, fuck, how am I getting through this? When you finish, you're like, ah, oh, brilliant. And the, your hands are clammy, but yet you've just performed and the band sounded great. And mm. I, I'm a massive fan of a jam night, like, you know, and I think it's great for anybody who gets involved with that, especially, like, if, if that's where... And what were you doing running that for three years, was it, or...? Yeah, I just ended up running it. I don't know really why they, they left me with that responsibility. Uh, anybody that's been involved in my band over the last three years will know that I'm pretty useless at planning. So I kind of leave, I, I'm good at delegating actually now, which is, you know, you organize the tour dates, you organize the hotels because I'm shocking at doing it. Um, but yeah, and so having a two page list of jammers was just chaos. So there's some, I remember like a guy coming up to me once and he was just like, I've been here six hours. Like, how come I've not played? And I was like, oh, <laughs> So it was a bit, and the thing is, I was uh, I'm, I'm actually teetotal now, but I went through a phase for about three or four years where I was I was smashing it in terms of the booze. So some of these jam nights, after sort of five or six hours of whiskey and alcohol, because I was on free booze whilst running it, I'd, I'd look, I'd be like playing the, the closing set and thinking I was like like Brian May at Wembley and then you'd see like cropping up on YouTube and I, it was like, Oh my God, I was in the wrong key as everyone else. So it was kind of, you know, yeah. thankfully I've got a bit more professional since then. 
Fantastic. I remember our jam nights. We we'd never we didn't know the people, the 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 people, the musicians that were older than us. They had the like the the thousands of pounds worth of guitars, you know what I mean? They had they had the proper gear coming to these jam nights. And we didn't know their first names. We would just give them who they sound like or who they play. So there was John Denver. Do you know remember his name, Ron? No, I don't know his name, but it was John Denver, Denver the yeah. Slash. We only found out Slash's name was Mark Jones like a few years after we'd done jams with him, but he was always Slash. It was always the music they played in the jam nights. Sting. <laughs> it was Sting, wasn't it? Sting. Sting, <laughs> which was Dale, we found out later. But um, yeah, amazing times, bud. You learn so much from those people, those talented musicians. And even if they're not good, you kind of know where you are. You put yourself in, do you know what I mean? It's almost like a little showcase and, and you realize, okay, I'm not as good as him. I, mean, I think I'm a little bit better than him. You know, you, you, you kind of, it's that healthy competition. You're learning constantly. Um, it was a huge like the, the guys that used to turn up with what looked like the Millennium Falcon uh, effects pedal boards to plug in. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, you're only doing two songs. You're doing a BB King cover. Do you BB yeah. King use the, the, yeah. the super phasma pedal? I don't think so. Um, uh... And that's so went on. And my favourite one is the guy who turned up with three or four guitars but didn't change them once. (laughs) (laughs) It was like literally just to show you his like 10, 15 grand's worth of guitars, like, do you know what I mean? Or if he played played two songs out of four guitars, like, do you know what I mean? It'd be, be, maybe I'll play that one next or... But yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. They're everywhere in jam nights, like, you know. I think we had a we had a drummer once. Um, I can't remember what we nicknamed him, Shane. Or the golfer. That's all I knew. He was a golfer. But um, he turned up with, like, a really expensive drum kit, like, which you don't do in a jam night. That's, like, the law, because you never know who's going to get up and clobber him. Um, and he was petrified all night, wouldn't he? And every drummer yeah. that went up, he'd go up and he'd be inspecting it, rubbing the drums down. It was like the most uncomfortable jam night ever. Like, you know, it was, uh, but great fun. Like I said, yet again, you learn from those guys. Like, you know, he's a quality drummer. Um, same with all the musicians we played with, probably the same as you, Jack. You you never know who's going to get up. It's, it's a real surprise or a, a younger band maybe get up and you think, oh, here we go. Now it's all going to be out of tune and stuff. And they're, banging like or their timing is phenomenal or um you meet other musicians through that that you might end up being in bands with like you know so i would i would jam nights back in a day where, where we used to go with them um jesus christ two or three bands end up touring the world like mm. that's the truth you know it's it's mad it's how i met my my current drummer felipe and, and that was actually fortuitous in that i was shooting a music video and the guy that had recorded the album with me he just basically last minute wasn't available to do the uh, to do the re- um, the recording of the video, and uh, he said, "Oh, you could you could use this guy Felipe," and I, and he said he's a good drummer. And I said, "I don't give a crap if he's a good drummer. Does he look good? That's all that matters for the music video, man." And that's where I met him at the blues bar. So um, yeah, it's kind of been one of those places that you you meet great people and great musicians who. Um, a lot of them have become sort of lifelong friends really so far. Yeah. So the rest Some of, of your band. <laughs> Sorry, go on, mate. The the rest of your band. So how did that how did you meet them? Did yeah, so them? Felipe was yeah, basically just cuz he had a he had a beard and long hair, so he ended up in my, my music video and uh, it was for a track called Deal with the Devil and we we met like the morning of the shoot and it it was um oh. 
yeah, we ended up in Camden at the World's End drinking and just talking about Zeppelin for about six hours. And then I was like, right, you're in. And then the other drummer messaged me. We were, we were, I was due to play Rambling Man. And this other drummer messaged me and said, oh, I've seen you've been announced for Rambling Man. Like, you know, I haven't got a phone call about playing it. And I was like, well, you didn't show up to the music video, pal. Like the, the guy who did, who, who can play and looks good. He's in, so that was that's kind of how it evolved with Felipe, and he's been in the band ever since. Um, and the the bass player Laz, who uh, is the king of snoring, he's he's a great talent. He's he knows way more about music than I do. He's he's a professionally trained musician, whereas I just had a ginormous Jimmy Page poster. Um, you know, he's uh, he's quite a character. But when I first met him, he looked like he was in. Backstreet Boys. It was really weird. So I, I got a recommendation for him, and it, I met him, and I thought, oh man, like he doesn't really look the part. Like, yeah, you know, it does. You got to kind of consider these things. So we went to Spain, and his his partner Dash always says to me now that I basically kind of wrecked him on that tour because when he came back with the, with the earnings from that tour, he basically bought a load of tattoos. He got loads of tattoos and the whole tour, he was like, I'm not spending any money. I'm, you know, I was like, cool man, you know, do you not want a whiskey or anything? And he was like, no, no, I've got to save my money. And then when we got home, it, I, not, I then realized why he was saving so much money. Cause he just got, um, you mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier on. He's a big Lord of the Rings fan. He got this massive Lord of the Rings tattoo on his arm. So, uh, that's rock and roll, isn't it? Lord of the Rings tattoos. Uh, but yeah, they're great guys and they've, they've sort of, you know, I'm sure you guys know what it's like. You meet a lot of people in the industry who kind of come and go out of your circle who aren't there for you. And these guys have really had my back for three years, which has been a massive relief, you know? Fantastic. What was the first jam? Did you know straight away the first jam was like, wow, this is easy or? Yeah. And they always bring this up because basically uh, I cocked up the, the first song that we played. I, I had played it wrong. It, and uh, Laz was like, actually, the middle section goes like this. It's eight <laughs> bars. And you only played six. And I was like, oh, okay, you're in. <laughs> and he, he's frequently, will, after gigs, he'll be like, yeah, you cocked up the lyrics on World on Fire tonight. And I'm like, he gives a crap, man. Like, wow. And I do have the, um, the almost famous moment where he runs after the van and he's like, I'm only the lead singer, you know. Um, but they're, they kind of keep me in check, I think. And they they know what they're doing, which is, is a relief. Anybody that's in your band that knows the songs better than you, it's got to be a good thing. It's fanable. It's fanable, that is. You, you, you said about traveling then. Where, where's some of the places that are highlights for you, mate? Because you, you said about Spain. I mean, was a lot of this done before the guys kind of become full-time with with you or um is, is it picked up momentum since this it's it's you three now or i think it, it sort of was was at that tipping point really mm-hmm. they they joined just as i did rambling man and, and that was a that was a fortuitous thing a bit like tonight where somebody else dropped out and i kind of because i just like going out to loads of gigs hanging around at gigs and playing a lot of gigs. Um, I think somebody must've just been like, Oh, Jack will do it. He's, he's available. He'll just turn up and play. Um, and that was a real boost for my career doing rambling man. And I really enjoyed it. And they came on board just around that time. And, um, yeah, I mean, we went to Brazil and that was, 
because my drummer's Brazilian, he he has loads of friends over in Brazil. So he hooked us up with a promoter over there and that's how we got to go over there. So without him being in my band, there's no way I would have got to tour South America. So that was um when he when he rang me up and he's like, Hey man, do you fancy going to Brazil? I was like, Are you joking? Of, of course. Um that was hilarious. We went to Brazil and we got booked to play this festival that it was it was the biggest gig I'd ever done. It was 8,000 people and we were the headliners at this festival. I mean, we had a great show. And so we we boarded the plane back to the UK and I thought, you know what? I have made it. Like, oh, that was just incredible. And we flew back and we had a, a festival booked um, in the UK about three days later and we turned up and played this festival. And we were just, I think I was probably behaving a little bit like I was a rock god. I thought I was a rock god. And we started the first song, and there's a lady in the audience just went like this. <laughs> she sat there, the whole performance like this. And I was oh, like, afterwards, Laz was like, do you see that woman in the front row? Just covered her ears the whole set. And I was like, I guess Brazil is over, guys. <laughs> there he is. Whatever. Brazil, man. have to get the bongos out, don't you? Brazil. It was uh, it was a bit mad. It was um, yeah. We were supposed to go back last year, but then obviously the pandemic sort of shelved those plans. But um, fingers crossed, next year we'll we'll head back there. That's fantastic. You got that connection as well. Do you know what I mean? Did you did you get a lot? Did you gain a lot of fans from there, or was it some like a territory like anywhere? You just have to keep keep battling it. Like yeah, I mean, I, I think we still get. I mean, I, you know, I can see on Spotify that a lot of the streams come from Brazil, um, and we we did we did some recording over there. So there's a, a definite connection. Um, it's just about going back, and you know what it's like. You you can't just go there once. You need to keep plugging away at it. But um, what an amazing country! And and what was really cool about it as well was the kind of age group of the the people coming to the shows. So you know, there's a lot of young people who were. <laughs> coming to those shows who would just really like rock. And um, not that I'm saying you don't get younger people necessarily in the UK, but, you know, it was a, a definite difference, I guess, to my usual crowd uh, in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of Maiden, um, like like a lot of people, I've seen a lot of Maiden DVDs, uh, footage of them playing Brazil. Um, and you would think, oh, yeah, well, you know, the fan base can be 20 years plus and stuff. But no, it's exactly what you just said. It ranges from the new Maiden fans. And when I mean that, there are teenagers there right yeah. up to the faithful, like, you know, um, and it's incredible. I've seen a few acts, actually, I, even over uh, during the pandemic. I was watching some uh, Brazilian concerts and they're, they're fanatic, man. They love it. Like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, they were pretty mad. And particularly that festival it was really surreal because they did like a meeting, not a meeting, what's it, you know, like a, um, you know, just like a signing thing after I'd played. And there was this bloody queue going right down this freaking field. And I was like, they can't have the right person here. Um, but the, the promoters had done a really good job at kind of making me out to be perhaps bigger than I was, I think. Um, so it was a, a fantastic experience. The, the day after we played that festival, we were actually supposed to be in a recording studio, which is where we recorded our track World on Fire. And the promoter took us to this, like, beautiful kind of rainforest waterfall thing. And Laz, um, being Laz, he's, he's stood on top of this blooming waterfall and he's shouting down going, oh, 
take a picture of me, guys, and I'd say, I'll give you two, give it 30 seconds before he slips and falls off that thing. And he did. And he just tumbled down this waterfall and he dislocated his shoulder. Oh, no. Um, so whenever I listen to that track, I just think back to Laz in the studio because I was I was not sympathetic about this. I was like, we've been given this, you know, one day in a studio to record a song for, you know, we didn't have to pay for it. It was great. And I was like, you're recording that bass line. And so I've just got visions of him like playing it like this with the, all his arms strapped up and me going, we need another take. You can do better than that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, fun times. Brilliant, man. So who's playing the harmonica, dude, on, on, on your albums? Oh, man, yeah. We I used to play with this guy called Tom Brundridge, who um, he's a blues harp player, and he, he did some stuff on my first album, and probably the second album, Paint No Fiction, he did some stuff on that as well. And he's from New Jersey, and uh, he's a real character. Um, he's just shaved his beard off, but he developed this kind of Willie Nelson look during lockdown last year. Which wow. I, thought, I was like, man, you got to keep that. And he's he's gone all kind of clean. I think he's got a new job. He's had to change his, his look. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the job keep the Willie Nelson look you know that's brilliant no he, he was class that's, so is it a case of you get these songs penned is it is it coming from all, all from you Jack is it like you have the idea the concept take it to the boys and then you jam it out um, and then if you're thinking oh this could do with harmonica or strings and then you kind of work on it that way or yeah I mean I write everything um, I suppose with the newer material that's on the the forthcoming album there's a few co-writes on it which has been interesting i've really struggled to do that in the past and um i was involved with a band called rhr about three years ago and we tried to co-write some stuff and i just i'm I'm not that great at it i'm a bit of a control freak in terms of songwriting and particularly if someone tells me to change lyrics because i write i try and write lyrics that relate to you know really personal things that have happened to me. And so when people tamper with that element, I'm not really into that. So anyway, I would try to be more open-minded. Lockdown changed me, man. Uh, and so I uh, <laughs> let them, t- we did some co-writes, which worked out really well because uh, Laz sent me this m- response to one of, the, one of the things I sent him and he was just like, mate, this is rubbish. <laughs> I was like, you are. <laughs> um, so that's sometimes quite good because I, I, I'm so annoyed that I wrote a different riff for this track and it, it, sounded, a, it sounded a lot better. So he knew best. Ah, oh, that's cool. Cool rights, yeah, man. Um, I know what you mean about that. If you if you if you've always written from there and your own experiences, that can be difficult. Um, I would I would like to try it. I would like to try it. I think it's you know it, it can expand your kind of musical horizons. I mean, the, the guys that are in my band have quite diverse influences as well you know as i said that they've both um they, they've both done music degrees they know they've learned learned how to be uh musicians i didn't approach it in that way i approached it from being a big rolling stones fan big beatles fan big zet fan when i was a teenager and wanting to be like jimmy page and john lennon and people like that i never studied stuff so when i i play them songs they'll be like, they'll talk about what tempo it's in or whatever, you know, time signature, what the key is. I mean, I know what key is, but I couldn't tell you what the chords are that I've written. Yeah. But I think that works quite well because I, I probably approach it from more of an emotive side than what kind of, you know, makes the hairs on the 
no, not the hairs on the back of my neck because there's a lot of hair, but it's kind of like the hairs stand up, you know. Yep. Uh, I don't really give a crap about what time signature stuff is in, as long as yeah. it moves me, you know. Yeah, no, that is interesting because we, we had a comment, um, a bit of a meeting today talking about um, with our producer and he was kind of setting up a few sort of ideas out, outside of the what we normally do. And like you said, it's good to try stuff. And he was like, oh, this is the, the tempo, try writing to that. And it's like, oh, we, like you said, we haven't done that before. So um, I don't know, perhaps we late there, perhaps we love it, who knows. But um, definitely something we're willing to try. But it's good to get your point of view from it. I think like, because um, we used um, Josiah Manning, who's worked with, who was in Chris Barris' band, and he, he's worked yeah. with Inglorious and loads of different acts. And he, he did the mixing on the record and, um, he fed in some really cool ideas in, in some of the songs that I remember like one of the sessions, I, I wasn't particularly keen on this guitar part that he, he was on about adding. Cause to me, it sounded like Coldplay, which, you know, I've, I've, I haven't got anything against Coldplay, but I'm, I was trying to make a record that sounded like Black Sabbath. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this, but now I hear it within the context of the, of the full production. And I think, wow, what that's a brilliant moment. And, you know, he had some different ideas, which is why we sh- we changed producer for this album. Um, Tony Peretta, who'd done my previous two records, he's a great producer, and I will, well, we'll work with him again, but it was good to, to just change things up a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes you... Oh, you're back. Yeah, you're back here, Jack. Sometimes you said it's, uh, you've changed producer. Yeah, man, I, I think, that you, uh, like, Josiah has... Um, well, you just have to listen to kind of Chris Barris's records to hear the the sort of it's like just quality rock production. Which I guess I'd approached the previous couple of albums from a um, a sort of more acoustic blues approach, and then it slowly melded back into the rock element. But Josiah knows how to get that great guitar tone and get those big choruses and hooks in there. So that that was really important, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we we've been on a similar journey. I think every band does, but it, my eyes are open now. You can just become a little bit stale in a way if you don't listen to others sometimes because your your writing can be two dimensional. Like, do you know what I mean? So by working with more people or as we have, um, there's something new constantly. And I find the next time we're writing a new song or the next album you're writing, you're using those tools that you've brought from that record onto that one and then someone will say right we're not using that we're going to try this and and constantly you're you're becoming a better musician yourself or a better writer and 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 i find out with my band everybody's got a different idea of where they can hear a song going for example but it is nice to kind of have that outside opinion because no one loves your band shane have said it many a time more than more than yourself or more you know you're passionate about it and it does take that other voice um, in your case, you've got the bass player who's, who's pretty pretty on it, but it does take that other voice to kind of go, eh, chorus could be stronger, couldn't it? Even though, like, you're like, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, I, just before we went on air just then, I even got a message from Laz that was, like, uh, looking at our tour schedule for the next week, and he, he, he applies the same uh, level of critique to that, and he was like, I think your plan could be stronger, Jack. And he's he's now rewritten our tour schedule, which uh, is good because I'm just like, you know, 
I don't look at the routes particularly well, and he he's pretty good at navigating us around the, the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, so are you guys about to go back into the studio then? Are you? We are, mate. Um, yeah, where we are currently was obviously we've done the we've we've come back out done done a few spot gigs, done the festival, same as yourself. Um, we've got a couple more now in November, um, and then it's crack on with album three. Um, so I think everybody, this was why it's, it is quite funny because everybody's been on the same path or the same plan to try and kind of get the right in done when you can, like you said, during COVID. Um, we were lucky we managed to get away as a band to a bit of a writing camp um, and then kind of bring the ideas home. Then we've all got little studios working at it. Um, and yet again, we're, we're looking to work with someone new this time um, and just like you said, just constantly evolve, like you know, which is it's needed sometimes. Do you know what I mean? And um, I think it just makes you a better band, um, takes you up a different level. Um, but it has been a bit weird this time of like we're right in, um, and I don't know how, if you're balancing this where everything's been a little bit more easier in the past. Like when they say you've got a lifetime to record your first record, they're right. You've got all the time in the world to write your first record, second yeah. record. Oh, that one's on you a bit quick. Your third one, if you're trying to balance like like yourself now, uh, a tour um, plus recording plus pushing all the business side of it, that yeah. creeps in very quick. So it's being clever um, and, and kind of organizing it. But um, very similar to yourself, we made adjustments during COVID, um, which has really helped our band, um, whether it be management um, and the team around us, etc. So everything is kind of running nicely in different areas, so you're not having to stress about that. Like, like what you said then, I think it's vital work to people's assets. Um, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Because it could be easy in a band of people stressing. Oh man, he's going to think I'm not doing as much. But sometimes if you're not great at doing that job then just let somebody else do that but offer to do something else like you know everybody kind of work in an area where they're stronger like you know i think what i i realized actually uh when covid happened and it's, it's a sort of horrible thing to say was that i'd not actually had a break for like two years and at the end of 2019 i was pretty fried i remember we did uh rock stock and i got back from that weekend and i I was just absolutely, I felt like I, I just felt like I was broken. I can't really describe it any other way. And it's because we'd, that year I'd been basically constantly on tour from January. And you know, like tour, touring takes it out of you. Yes. Um, I'd got a lot of other stuff going on at home. Like my dad, um, my dad wasn't very well that year. And I think I escaped that by going on tour and trying to avoid the personal issues. Um, and so COVID forced me to have a bit of a holiday. And that, and that actually made me look at the whole structure of how I was doing things. And so when we've headed back out this week, it's about like bringing a few people in who can help. So, you know, we've, we've got, I've got a driver, for example, so I'm not doing all the driving. So we, we like, that's the kind of thing where I've, I, I'm from a background, like my dad, he, he's from Yorkshire and he was very much kind of like, about not being a wimp and always putting in the effort. And so I'd be like, don't worry, I'll drive nine hours across Spain and then do a show and da da da. And actually, I just ended up fried. So I think as we head into 2022, it's probably the realization that I can't actually do everything because the priority should be that I get on stage and deliver a kick ass show rather than 
you know, driving for nine hours or sorting out the merch or all these other elements that I'm pretty useless in the past that kind of looking at actually asking for help, you know, saying, can somebody else look after this? So, yeah. Mate, we were exactly the same. And I think a lot of bands get to that stage um, that you, you do, we were very proactive um, and it, everybody was um you know trying to find their roles like lloyd would do a lot of driving as well and um, the merch uh shane's been like plowing on with the merch for years we're all battling with jobs um it, it is hard it is really really hard and especially like you said if you have to maintain not not just the performance your vocal as well um because by the time you do get to that next destination it's it's stupid o'clock in the morning you haven't got met many hours kip then for yourself if you're doing the driving you've got to get back in the van drive the next lot of hours um you're right man something's gonna give like you know and then you're, you're checking in the business side of that as well and plans for the future the brain gets a little bit scrambled like you know so um i think you did it, right it's a bit yeah like i, I in the past I, i'd always be like the vocals were an afterthought, actually. That you know, particularly five years ago when I was doing more blues stuff, it was like, yeah, I'll have four or five whiskeys before I go on, and I didn't do vocal warm ups, and I actually blew my voice about two years ago, and um, it never happened to me before. But I was like, I was absolutely terrified. I was like, oh my god, I've got a whole, ru- I've got like thirty gigs coming up. I've got a tour of the Czech Republic. Um, that was like 14 gigs in 14 days. And on, on two of the days, I think we had, we actually had t- like a lunchtime acoustic show. And, and I was like, how am I going to do this? And I battled through that tour and I came home and I was like, I need to look after this more because, you know, there's nothing worse than just walking on stage and shitting yourself because you're like, is the, is something going to come out? What's it going to sound like? By the end of the tour, it just sounded like a, like a, I don't know, sandpaper, it was awful. So uh, that's something, you know, I, 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 I told with Chris Barris a couple of years back and he, he gave me a lot of advice on vocal stuff. So I bought a steamer. I now use the steamer before I go on and do my vocal exercises. Um, some people might say it's not been an improvement, but it means I'm not in any pain when I'm singing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I think you've got to do you got to do what you got to do um, to get, get you through it. Like, you know, and um, say the same to Shane. Um, and, and like, I've had people take the piss out of me if I'm doing stretches or you're doing something in the corridor and they're like, Oh, look at him. He's, he's trying out for the, 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 the fucking Olympics or something, you know, but it's like, no, I just don't want to wake up in the morning and I can't move. Or, you know, we've been like in a van for eight hours. Now I got to go on and play or, and like Shane said, by the time, you know, he, he's trying to do his vocal interviews, then drive in a van for eight hours to do it all over again. You you have got to look after yourself a bit better, like, you know, especially everybody's paying money to come and watch us, like, you know, so, um, yeah, you should... And like, you know, I've seen you guys like a few times live, and it's it's obviously great, but it's like a real powerhouse performance. Like, in order to, to have the energy to do that, you know... Um, it's you need to look after yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to be. There's no point doing three gigs on a tour, and then you're knackered. And so the the people that have bought tickets to the remaining gigs aren't getting the same level of performance. And that was something that I talked to Chris Barris a lot about was about consistency. Um, in the same way, you look at like, you know, like 
in sports like football teams, whatever, there's no point being great for the first three games of the season, then losing ten games. It's a bit similar, isn't it? Um, pacing yourself. It is, but I remember speaking to somebody. I won't mention who it was, but it was somebody um, just saying to me, uh, "You need to take at least thirty percent of what you're doing because you will not maintain that through, you know, a tour, you know, a, a long tour." But instead of taking that advice, I was like, "Well, no, I need to." As you said, be consistently that um, yeah. energized, up for it, um, from word go till till you know coming off stage knackered, but ready to go again after you've had to sleep. As long as you're resting and nobody's snoring, but like, um, <laughs> <laughs> no joking. But yeah, it's um, it it is difficult, but it's not. It's mad, dude, because it's rock and roll. So you give a rock and roll performance, but. It's the prep that's not rock and roll. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. to maintain that, you are yeah. absolutely bang on. You've got to, you've got to look after yourself. Like, I mean, I've seen you, like you know, climbing up bloody balconies and all that sort. Of, I mean, fortunately, I don't have to do that in my gigs. I think if I tried to do that, I'd pull a hamstring or something stupid. You know, I just wouldn't be able to do it. But. Um, <laughs> So I've, yeah. unfortunately, I've not created this kind of. Mine's really mellow in comparison to you guys. I just stand there and put my foot on a box and pretend that you know, pretend I'm Zach Wild for an hour and a half. It's quite easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, the best one was I spoke to a few boys. I'm not going to name them as well, but you got the hair as well, which is cool because you can just give that a few flicks, and that gives off. We have to do like ten laps to get that same motion or that same effect. Like, do you know what I mean? It's uh. There's yeah. a few drummers I spoke to like that. They don't. It's quite. It's clever how they play because it looks like a lot of movement, but the hair, the hair really helps. Like you know, so yeah, yeah. I haven't got that, so I have to pull my back, shoulders, legs. Um, yeah, and it's it's all a prep, mate. And it's it's the same as what you just said, then, Jack. You've been driving. Um, if you've got somebody to help with that now, which is great. Um, we were the same. We were there, and if you're driving plus even if you're just sitting in a van we were finding now as well and show after show after show that that can kind of you know it's what you do in the betweens or how can you help yourself out of that how can you get that energy back how can you restore it the next day how can you you know bristol needs to be as strong as newcastle as strong as blah 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 as you know so it, shane is right it's it's not very rock and roll talking about this side of it but it is the truth it is the maintaining yourself and <clears throat> You know, we learned that you can't hit it hard every night on the booze because, no. like you said, it's it's fucked. Like you know, you haven't got that energy the next day, or that percentage drops, as Shane said, the meter drops, which isn't fair to somebody who's travelled. I mean, some of the fans travel to watch you and us. They'll travel as far as we do, like you know. So you're thinking, man, they're in the car for three hours. Mm. Um, I can kind of wait and have a few drinks later if I have to, or I'll wait a couple of days and I'll have a drink then, like you know. We had a, a couple that because we played Liverpool last weekend, and they travelled all the way from. Um, I know it was black. We played Blackpool with the Waterloo last weekend, and this uh, this group had travelled all the way from Whitby. And it's like you know you've got to deliver for people when they put they've put that effort in as well. They don't need to come out, particularly at the minute. You know, there's a lot of people who it's easier for people to stay home than go out and see shows, and so you've got to deliver, haven't you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, while we're talking about show, shows as well, you've got a monster coming up. Is this quite the longest one you've done for a while, or the seventeenth? Yeah. 
It is. It's, it's basically a collection of dates that got cancelled at the beginning of 2020 and pushed back um, to... I think this is like the fourth reschedule of, of these gigs. I, I've lost count. Um, but, yeah, it's 17 dates, and we've done four so far. So still got... We've had basically... We did four, and then we've had like a week off. Um, and then we're hitting it pretty hard from this... Well, this Thursday onwards. So, yeah, it'd be good. Loads of different venues. Um, I'm looking forward to playing Edinburgh. I've never played Edinburgh before. Uh, and then we've got Newcastle. God, where else are we going? I've got them written down here, actually, because I've lost track of where it is. We're doing London as well. We're going back to the Black Heart, which will be a good uh, good gig as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just, I, I, you know, I'm just excited to be out on the road and doing the shows, you know. It's, yeah. um, I think it, it after after what we've been through, we just want to go out and smash it every single night, you know, and uh, hopefully people feel the same way when they see us. How long are the sets, bud? Um, well, I made some stupid promise that we'd be doing like three and a half hour shows in the summer, but no, they're not that. They're about an hour and a half. Um, oh. So we're, we're doing loads of stuff from the new album, basically. We're, we're playing pretty much the whole of the new album, which my PR guy, Wes, was like, why are you playing the whole of the new album? It's not out until February. And I was like, because I just want to fucking play these songs, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, yeah, I made the decision on the set list. But it's great to play all this new material and, and see the response because, you know, you play this stuff and you want people to dig it because it's it's a lot heavier, there's lots bigger choruses. Um, I think it's going down pretty well so far. Yeah, and you've got the second single, Straight to Hell, that's released on Halloween, is that right? Yeah, it's coming out next week. Um, that's an interesting tune because it's a bit like, it's like three songs in one. Um, I'm a big horror fan and I wanted to kind of write a song that was a bit, you know, it's kind of a stereotype, isn't it? To try and write songs that are like horror movies if you're in a rock band, but, um, I absolutely love Halloween. And so we've got a video that's a bit kind of like, it's a bit of a cross between like, I don't know, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead mixed with sort of Sin City sort of vibes. Mm. Um, but we've been starting the sets with that track, and it's it's really it's probably the heaviest track I've done. Um, so yeah, it's it's good fun. It's an absolute bitch to sing though. So um, it's like the first track in the set, and you've got to be warmed up to sing it because it's so high, goes really high, and then goes really low, and then really high again. And it's like everything from that point on is just a breeze. But it's like you've really got to be on it to sing that song, otherwise the lyrics are so quick that I'm just going to end up tripping over myself and. And you sound like Bob Dylan or something, if I'm not okay. <laughs> uh, well, you wrote it, Jack. You put yourself in that situation. <laughs> That's what the boys tell me when I had to do it, because I had to say the same. Fucking hell, we can't stop when I was too high. Well, you know, <laughs> who's wants that? <laughs> and, and then the full album is, this This will be the third album, The Hammer Falls. That's out in February, yeah? Yeah, 4th of Feb, mate. Um, it was supposed to be out, well... Uh, who cares? I'll tell you. It was supposed to be out now, basically. Um, but I, I, I basically wrote an, an additional song, and we got offered um, the opportunity to work with quite a cool producer. I can't. Well, I've, I've been telling everyone on the tour, but I, I'm not going to say who it is. But um, on one track, and so part of the reason it was pushed back was because of that. 
but also um I, when I spoke to the vinyl manufacturers back in January, they were like, it's going to like the delay on the vinyl is massive. So, um, yeah, I, I, I spoke to, um, various people, you know, in my team and they were like, there's no point putting it out and then having to do a second PR campaign to promote the vinyl. So, um, it's all coming out in, in Feb. So it's kind of worked out all right. Cause if I'd, if I'd committed to it coming out in October, I wouldn't have been able to include this additional track. So, um, yeah, it, it, it sort of worked out okay. That's cool. The It'll album be well worth the wait. Sorry, mate. The album cover's awesome. Is it that is you wicked. Or? I do like that. That's a wicked album cover. Yeah, I mean, I was going for... I was going for a sort of Damien Rice sort of look with this again, but it, it just didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> Damien Rice. I don't think anyone's talked about him for quite some time. But uh, actually, all the CDs arrived uh, today. So um, I shouldn't really say that because people will be like, can I have a copy? But yeah, the guy that did the album cover um, is based in Spain and he's called Anastasio and he, he runs a, um, a, you know, a design company called Revelation Studio and he does designs for Blasco from Ozzy's band and Zach Wild and that kind of thing. So um, I, I basically came across him because I'm a big Zach Wild fan. And I was like, if I can get him to do my artwork, that'd be pretty cool. And he was really cool because he, he actually responded to me and said, you know, instead of just like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll, you know, whatever. He was like, I need to listen to your music first. And I was like, oh, well, I was like, you know, I'm screwed then. But he, um, he responded the next day and said, I, I think I can do something. So he's very considered about whether he commits okay. to something. So, uh yeah, it's pretty cool. And it looks very kind of like, I was like, I want it to look like a sort of old amicus film sort of poster, you know, like a hammer horror sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, so he's done all of the designs for like, this is the straight to hell single cover. So there's a vibe that goes across them. Uh, so he's, he's re very cool. But I'm not quite sure what all my fans who discovered me as an acoustic blues artist will make of that album cover. They may they may not dig it. <laughs> and, and the other thing I've seen as well, Jack, is this has been announced, which is great, mate. Um, especially with the record out in February as well. They're going to love that in uh, in Winter's End. Uh, incredible, Bill. And yeah. Yet, yet again, nice, nice to see you on the, the Planet Rock scene as well. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, there's some of my favourite artists on there. I mean, it'd be great to see Wayward Sons. I mean, I've, I've never actually seen them live, so it'd be really cool to see them. And bands like, um, you know, like Hot Damn that are on the lineup that I think they were announced today, weren't they? Um, yeah, and there's a few few of the bands that are, are on the O'Neill PR um, roster as well, like Firekind and uh, Sons of Liberty. So it's a really cool lineup. And, you know, we did Rockstock two years ago, and that was just an absolute incredible weekend. Because we hung around after we played and basically just got smashed for the for the whole weekend, um, and then I was supposed to be doing Rocking the Boat with Planet Rock, but that obviously got cancelled because of COVID. So um, it's going to be a good weekend, and yeah, as you say, it's just around the time that my album comes out. So um, yeah, I can, you know, I can probably play it from start to finish at that that festival, and uh, hopefully go down pretty well. 
That's oh, perfect. I mean, me, me and Shane have said it, and I and I said it to you off air, and I don't mind saying it again. Your work ethic is is brilliant, and and we love it. Um, any artist out there who works as hard, we we constantly see you always on. You're on something like you know. You're either promoting something, or you're on tour, or the next record. Um, and I love that. And it's not just that. You're a real gig goer as well. Um, like me yeah, and were saying earlier, we've seen you uh, so many gigs. So you're so active. Um, and I think that everything that's happening with you and the guys now is is well deserved, mate. Honestly, it's it's so well deserved. And it must be nice for you to see everything, the momentum picking up, like you know. Well, I think like when. Uh... <laughs> I find it like a massive relief going out to see shows. And, I, you know, I remember seeing you guys, I think it was Kentish Town Forum a couple of years back. Because I used to live around the corner from there. So I was like, oh, like I just pop around the corner and go and see this gig. And you learn a lot through going to see other acts. And you, you look at certain things from people and go, do you know what, that that's how you should do it, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a few people that are like, oh, God jack again not him because uh, i did you know i went through a phase where i was out all the time but it's how you evolve as a musician is listening to other bands as well uh, i'm not saying ripping them off but i'm just saying like uh, you know you go out and you look at performances and you look at it's about energy i think is what well from people so like when i saw you guys for the first time i was just like i remember going home and, and speaking to liz my partner that night and just be like what a band you know and I think there's a few of those guys where I remember seeing like the Dust Coda and I saw them for the first time and um, John's voice, I was just like, wow, you know. So there's just these bands that have certain things about them that make them special and uh, that can only be inspiring as a, as a fellow musician, really. And I like—I used to like drinking a lot, so it was an excuse. <laughs> yeah. I was really profound there for about ten yeah. seconds. I knew that was the real reason. Thank <laughs> you for the nice words, dude. Really appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure, bud. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Um, sorry, I got cut off halfway through. I don't know what happened there, but um, hopefully, we get to see you at one of these um, festivals or some shows, dude. And um, I can't wait for this new album, bud. If it's as yeah. good as that front cover, look out. <laughs> That's the thing. It's going to be one of them albums. It's like, it's got a great front cover, but unfortunately, <laughs> when you listen. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second, brother. It's going to be banging like all the other stuff is. Jack, thank you so much, bud. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Take, Take care. care Keep in touch, Jack. See you soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da!